0: seems to me you fellows could stand a little best training from the FBI and a little more from the actor's studio. Apparently, the only performance that'll satisfy you is when I play dead in your very next role. You'll be quite convincing, I'll show you. 90.7! From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan. <laughs> and I'm Corey Kraft. Today, we hitch to a ride with Michelle Gondry, Cato, and the Green Hornet and give you our predictions for the shamefully irrelevant Golden Globes. But first, we get regal and rhetorical with Tom Pimpers historical drama, The kill Speech. My husband has seen everyone. Insert them into your mouth. Or the He hasn't seen me. I can cure your husband, but I need total trust. What was your earliest memory? I'm not here to discuss personal matters. Well, why are you here then? Because I bloody well stammer! But do you know any jokes? Timing isn't my strong suit. <laughs> your methods are unorthodox and controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Up comes your war hands. It's actually quite good fun. Yes. <laughs> Art thou afeared? It's your peculiar. I take that as a compliment. War with Germany will come. Everyone will need a king whom we can all stand behind. He's afraid of his own shadow. The nation believes that when I... I speak, I speak for them, but I can't speak. You could do it. You needn't be governed by fear. It'd be like mad King George the Stammer. Get up, you can't sit there, get up! Why not? It's a chair. That is St. That Edward's chair. People have that, carved their names Listen to me, listen to me! Why should I waste my time listening to you? Because I have a voice! Yes, you do. Colin Firth stars as King George VI, birdie to his family, and the years surrounding he was never supposed to take the throne, mm-hmm. Is ul- to a no have ended up on your list of Oscar of the movie, you know, you hear certain little phrases like uh, quirky speech therapist with a Colin First character to succeed and like Jeffrey Rush says in the film, do you want to succeed? You have to convince him too and he's kind of he's kind of the uh, sort of the audience in this case because we are gonna need some convincing from this 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 guy with the very short temper as he says in the movie and someone who might seem unlikable and sort of cold on the surface. Yet when you get to know him, he has no ulterior motives this guy wants to be a good leader he wants to do a good job and he's fully capable of doing it he just might not have all of the tools that are necessary for people to be convinced right off what'll i call you your royal highness then then sir after that how about bertie only my family uses sir well in here it's better if we're equals if we were equals i wouldn't be here I've been home with my wife, and no one would give it down. Please don't do that. I'm sorry? I believe sucking smoke into your lungs will kill you. My physicians say it relaxes the throat. They're idiots. They've all been knighted. Makes it official, then interesting things that this movie does is uh, it's sort of, what you just said about King, you know, nobody really knowing King George the Sixth. The fact is nobody really can know it because he's expected to keep this aloof distance as monarch and as royal, even before he is crowned king, you know, uh, and, and his brother is expected to take the throne. I found it really interesting because, I mean, I guess you know, Stephen Freer's 2006 film The Queen sort of depicted that, but it wasn't really about that. The King's speech sort of really does nail, I guess, the isolation and, I guess, a removal from, from the common people that comes with being a British monarch in a really interesting way. Forgive me for using this term, but I think that it's the criteria that's been set over, I would say, the past three to four of his past and what has caused this specific problem because he obviously has Screenplay that is sensitively directed, uh, it just immediately stands out, I think. Uh, and, and it's just so heartfelt and so not cynical, particularly given the season I and mean, given, I guess, the intended awards gearing that it's been primed for. Well, and this is a film about an in, in, increased and intense insecurity right. uh, on the part of King George VI. And he is a human being. He, yes, he does have this so called divine right. And it's interesting, like you said, people. away. A House on Haunted Hill, or at the House of Haunted Hill, even though he was the best part of that movie. Yeah, you know, this, this, this is one of the best actors working today. It really is. And it's just good to see him in this form, a role that he obviously clearly believes in and wants to give his best. And the interplay between the two, there are so many scenes where you just kind of catch yourself being lost in it. And it comes early in the film. There are so many candidates in the King's Speech that I'm considering for best scene of the year or that will fall on that list even as early as the scene where it's his first session with him and he says I'll bet you a shilling that you read flawlessly while you're here. That's a great scene. It is and the method he uses to get him to do that is beautiful and Tom Hooper should be commended for that and there are other scenes too say when Colin Firth is sort of finally spilling his guts. Yeah. It's beautiful because he's finally cracking this guy and he's finally figuring out how he's going to solve this problem and When you figure out why he has this problem or why he might be intimidated to speak to a massive audience, a country even. I mean, we have a scene where we see Colin Firth watching his father, King George, here played by the baritoned bearded Michael Gambon. And we have him speaking into a microphone as beautifully and eloquently as anybody could. And it's like, wow, that's what I have to measure up to. Yeah, and his father's line after that, it's not so hard if you know how. Right. Uh, Well, I guess not. And, you know, when he he says, you try, and it's not turned on or anything, he just wants to see him do it. And after each stammer, his father, the king, yells at him, do it, relax, it's fine, you know. And it's just like, no wonder this guy is under such terrible pressure all the time. But it's just a a great film. I mean, like we said, Michael Gambon. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter should be mentioned here. She's and really good. In a fine role, yes. Yeah, she just really represents this unconditional devotion and love for this guy, somebody who understands him and understands his problem and will really stop at nothing to help him fix it. It's not something that will benefit her necessarily. She cares about this guy. Yeah, it's, it's a really s- sweet, supportive performance it, and, and surprisingly dialed down coming from Helena Bonham Carter, mm-hmm. particularly given her last, like, five years or so of output. Right, Tim Burton didn't direct her in this, yeah. so she can. Really she wanted, but Just Michel Gondry's beautifully painful romance about memories and misery, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and predict what's next for this weird but brilliant French guy, Gondry. Judging from his previous experience with documentaries, music videos, and experimentation, it might not take us long to determine his next feature would be a mixture of all three. And after that, we might decide he'd wander back into Eternal Sunshine mode with his sleight-of-hand practical visual effects used in a bit of a lighter story set in a foreign location, fair enough. And we would not be remiss to conclude he would at some point overdo it with the gimmicks. Take a fun but raw concept, throw in a pair of stars who may or may not fit his particular blend of experimental storytelling, and turn into a bit of a misfire. So in 2008, we're asking ourselves, what's next for Michel Gondry? And if you answer... Director for Hire on a troubled studio option, fairly obscure but still well-known superhero adaptation, I might slap you and say, let's watch the Chemical Brothers' Let Forever Be music video again on his DVD. But it turns out, Gondry has previously, or was previously hired by Universal Pictures back in the 90s to direct George Clooney in what would be the filmmaker's feature film debut. So, the Gondry connection wasn't as out of left field as I originally thought. So, here we are in January 2011, Gondry has finally directed the film The Green Hornet, now under Sony Pictures, which has been co-written and championed by schlubby funny man Seth Rogan, who stars as The Green Hornet. Think about this, Kato. We've been completely wasting our potential. The city needs our help. We could be heroes. Here's what will make us different. We will pose as villains to get close to the bad guys. That way, no one will suspect we're really the good guys. I want you to take my hand, and I want you to come with me on this adventure. I'll go with you, but I don't want to touch you. Okay, you don't have to take my hand, but will you come with me on this adventure? Okay. Yes. What do we call him? The Green Hornet. <laughs> case i'm a new secretary perfect i want the head of the green hornet and i want it tonight you know you are you're a human swiss army knife just when you think there couldn't be any more cool things a new thing comes out what's this is a gas gun a gas gun how does it even work and by now we know the project has hit its fair share of developmental roadblocks setting back its release date and even its production date for many, many years. But throw in Gondry Rogan, his writing partner Evan Goldberg, hotshot action producer Neil Moritz, Oscar winner Christoph Waltz, and it feels like you've got something at least pretty good on paper. Though the film got pushed back to the dreaded doldrums of January and was retrofitted with that not-so-glorious 3D thing. So, Corey, put us all out of our misery here and just tell us, now that we're finally in the theaters and watching this film on screen, the parties involved finally reach some light at the end of a very long tunnel. Well, you know what? The Green Hornet is, is what i call a hot mess. It's got moments of just insane action. It is, uh, it's funny sporadically. You can see Michelle Gondry's trademark wackiness, um, here and there. He directs action surprisingly well and has a penchant to, uh, to linger, let's say, on on the PG-13, but still very, like, oddly disturbing human wreckage of these action scenes. Um, He likes to have heavy things fall on people a lot in this movie and and, and show it, so uh, that's pretty amusing. Um, Otherwise, though, I don't really have too much to to recommend about The Green Hornet. Um, You know, I had a lot of fun while I was watching just so disposable, you know, there's not a whole lot to it. It's, it just gets the job done, but only just. I don't think anybody's going to walk out of there saying, oh, man, this is one of my new favorite superhero movies. That was so awesome, because it's not, you know, I don't really know what to say about it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just one of those movies, you know. Well, it didn't really seem like it was in demand from anybody other than the people who were trying to get it made for so long, because it's not as if there were... There was this legion of Green Hornet comic fans or serial fans who were demanding this film finally get made. My first exposure to the Green Hornet was actually when I saw the Bruce Lee biopic Dragon. The legendary story of Bruce Lee had Rob Cohen film with Jason Scott Lee. There's a sequence in it where they're trying to get Green Hornet off the ground, and he doesn't really feel right playing the sidekick in this TV series. Anyway, that was my first exposure to it. But I remember watching Comic-Con. Not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, and Seth Rogen was on a panel for some film. might have even been, like, funny people or something like that. And this guy got up there, this fan came, and he says, I'm going to ask what everybody wants to know about Green Hornet. Woohoo! And then crickets, nobody says anything. And then Seth Rogen's sitting there like, yeah, people sound really excited about it, don't they? And I get the feeling even now, it's like it's it's January, Green Hornets in theaters, and I hear nobody talking about it. So, why do you think that is, number one? I mean, is this just really not a very appealing superhero, and can we really call him a superhero? It's a fairly ordinary guy who kind of takes a note from the Batman page, somebody who's rich and can develop his own gadgets with the help of Kato, of course. But what's to like about this superhero? Yeah, I, I don't know. The movie kind of flirts with making a joke out of it I don't think it really ever does the, the fact that Britt Reed, the alter ego of the Green Hornet played by Seth Rogen here he's the spoiled heir to a media like a media fortune and his dad, he was played by Tom Wilkinson, a Eternal Sunshine love, mm-hmm. his dad dies pretty early in the movie leaving him sort of drifting and uh, aimless so through a set of comically contrived circumstances he, he finally meets one of the guys who lovey slackers who are very selfish and aren't extremely likable. And I kind of get that sense. Again, Seth Rogen playing the Seth Rogen character where, again, you have this spoiled punk who likes to party and only does things when it's convenient for him. So is that a flaw of the movie here? Do you buy Seth Rogen as a leading man? I mean, not so much, really. Uh, the only difference here between his his personas is that. chief the say Status comic book movie or superhero movie. This is this is something that you need to do because these are, are making money in the studio system these days. This is the first thing they reach for. I mean, they're doing a reboot of Spider-Man for crying out loud, which is what, a $2 billion monster when you boil it down. And so it makes sense that Seth Rogen would be finally making his comic book or superhero film. I mean, does that disappoint you? I mean, obviously we're, we're Original films like Inception that are original films that are able to make lots of money. Does this movie again released in January where it's going to be forgotten next week? has earned it. He's earned the right to slum in big budget Hollywood. To make money. Yeah, to make a little money because he, he toiled in Austrian television for years and years before breaking out in the glorious bastards. And you know what? If you're going to slum it, you could do a lot worse than work for Michelle Condry. So, and with Seth Rogen too. I yeah, he's the, a respectable figure. Yeah, the the screenwriter's mind right. Super bad. sort of the same old Rogan shtick where he has one-liners and he reacts like an 11-year-old to these large situations. Yet you have Tato here, who's supposed to be the best part about the Green Hornet franchise, somebody who specializes in gadgetry and martial arts. Is this the case in this feature film here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he gets the best part of the movie, too. He gets the best action sequences, of course. You know, he can honestly, I I don't know how, how well liver is English lines, but you know that, that's peripheral I think to the ultimate attraction, which is him beating fools. In awesome and pretty amusingly stylized action scenes, they have something called Cato Vision, mm-hmm. where uh, it sort of turns into a video game scene for a moment where all of the, the weapons and potential obstacles on the screen are all of a sudden illuminated in red, and it sort of slows down, and Kato builds out some justice on, on some thugs. Right, right. in the trailers you don't get the red vision thing, but you have it where everything else is in slow motion. Yeah. Now Kato is moving at normal or faster speed. And that's a fun Michelle Gondry touch. I well, think. that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. Look, Michelle Gondry is at the helm here. This is a guy who is famous for his innovative visual tricks that he's able to use in whether it's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or music videos that we're very familiar with. Do we get the real Michelle Gondry here at all in this movie? No, I think it's kind of tempered by Neil Moritz, but you know, one thing that I did notice is, is a reluctance to use CGI in the action scenes. So when a bulldozer is propelled through the air, Bulldozer was actually propelled through the air, and that's one thing that I really do respect this movie for is a lot of, like, stunt work, and, you know, he builds these really elaborate sets and then destroys them spectacularly in, 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 like, these climactic action scenes. You know, if I can recommend the movie on one basis, it's that. And, again, a lot of people get crushed by heavy falling objects, which it must be a Michel Gondry thing, but it, it happens too frequently in this movie, and the camera lingers on it too much to not point it out, because I thought it was weird. Of Corey, you saw it at the midnight show at the Cobb Hollywood 16, and the film is playing nationwide, and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. Well, coming up, we will preview Sunday's Golden Globe Awards and give you our predictions, not that it matters, and it doesn't, so stick around. This is Aspect Radio. Let's get out to the Welcome back to Aspect Radio, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association's beloved Golden Globes will be handed out tomorrow night see thankfully with Ricky Gervais returning as host. otherwise I don't know if we could bear all the forum press. But Corey, let's just go category by category and call the winners, keep things simple. Toy Story 3. Come well, on. it is that easy, I think. Yeah, it is. But just look at what it's up against. What what would give it its run for its money here, if anything. You have Despicable Me, which was a box office success that did very well. It's a fun movie. You yeah. have yeah. How to Train Your Dragon, which I think would be its best competition. And you know what? I don't know how heretical this is, but I might actually prefer How to Train Your Dragon to Toy Story 3. Good I mind. think you'd be the only one. There are people who love that film. It's it's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful film. wonderful film. I really want to see The illusion of do, access And as great as that score is, it could probably be called the safe choice here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite scores of the year, though. But you know what? This is a tangent. You know, it should be in these categories. Damn it. Daft Punk. Really? Totally. Okay. Well, I'm not going to dispute you there. Is it an original score? Did yes. you borrow anything uh, from the original? Film? Totally original. Okay. And and you know what, that score makes that movie better than it should be. Well, I talked to my brother recently, and he hasn't seen the movie yet, but he claims that the Daft Punk score, while it's excellent, it borrows a lot from the Inception score. Do you think that to be the case? And I don't even know if they had heard the Inception score by the time they were working on the Tron score, so what do you think? And that it's foreboding, and you know, sure, but no, I don't think it... Or even the Dark Knight score at all? Maybe a little bit because I remember seeing the trailer, maybe the initial—not the teaser trailer where we just saw like the, you know, the, the bright and pretty colors—but yeah. uh, when we finally saw kind of a full trailer, when we saw Garrett Hedlund riding his motorcycle throughout the city, it did have that Dark night vibe, and I'm yeah. sure that that was deliberate on their part. Oh, but, sure it was. But, but I mean, it still—it's still a great score. Uh, they have no chance of being nominated at the Academy Awards either. Just a shame. But the Academy and and the Hollywood Four Price, honestly. Don't really care for rock stars or bands who compose movies, or the scores for movies, and, and you know that's that's a weird, uh, a weird blind spot that they have. But they have it every year, and sometimes they disqualify people from contention. Like I, I can't really remember why they did it, but Johnny Greenwood, I don't think, was even eligible for the Academy Award. Not now, he, he used a lot of uh, one of his previous compositions mm-hmm. in "There Will Be Blood," and sort of based. The framework of his original score around music that he had already written. It's not that it was, you know, not great or that it was other material. It was his material. He had just written it for something else. I think that's when you have to kind of go back and reevaluate what this category is all about. I think that instead of best original score, we have to think. of the year, Burlesque, could walk away with this. Yeah, you but can't wrong with a Diane Warren, song. Oh, let's move on. Sorry. Um, best screenplay. People have often regarded this as the foregone conclusion of 2010. It's pretty clear that Aaron Sorkin's script for the social network has been the talk of the industry for quite a while now, and it, it won't surprise anybody that he'll probably walk away with this. Yeah, he should. Is this harmony, money, like you said, but it could go to Tom Hooper? Coincidentally, I think this is probably what the Academy's best Economic nominations are going to look like unless David R. Russell falls out and the Codes sort of get in there for their blockbuster hit, True Grid. How does that feel to say? It's wild. It's crazy. Well, and we can talk about you have someone in that film who might be more deserving of the supporting actress yes, nomination no. in Karma totally. Hershey. Um, that you said, I think Melissa Leo is one of win this. This is tough because, number one, you've got a snub here in Haley Steinfeld and a lot of people are referring to her as the lead actress in that movie anyway and she really might be. That, that's a fair... I mean, she's and in every scene of the movie. And so. it's her story. Yeah. So, yeah, that's absolutely fair but when we're talking about reality and how it's actually going to go down during the award season, she's going to get the Supporting Actress nomination. It won't surprise me if she winds up in the Oscar category for Best Leading Actress, but I think, I think, and we're going to talk about this later, of course, but I think if Haley Steinfeld winds up in the Supporting Actress category, I think she's going to win. That's probably true. It's going to be either her or Melissa Leo, and I, I think that, that uh, the box office goodwill that True Grit is generating, along with the fact that everybody loves that performance. It's going to propel her in the wind. That's a good call. It's a great story, too. And, yeah, I do think, again, if we're talking smart money, the fighter, Melissa Leo, probably going to win. But, again, we have this Hollywood Foreign Press element here where Helen Obama Carter could get recognized in the King's speech. So don't be shocked if that happens. That's going to happen. Best Supporting Actor. We have Christian Bale, Michael Douglas for Wall Street 2, Andrew Garfield for Social Network, Jeremy Renner for The Town and Jeffrey Rush for the King's Speech. I really think it comes down to Christian Bale versus Jeffrey Rush. And last night, watching the King's Speech, I wouldn't mind if Jeffrey Rush won this. I've got this gut feeling that they're going to go with Jeffrey Rush here. I think, that, I mean, like, conventional wisdom says the smart money is on Christian Bale because Christian Bale, Christian Bale has won everything. I still think Christian Bale is going to win the Oscar, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Hollywood Ford press went with Jeffrey Rush. In fact, you know, that's, that's sort of my... Uh, my I don't know there, if it can be said. I'm to go and you know, put on the record Jeffrey Rush. That's not going to shock me. And the stranger things have happened with the Academy before, and when it, especially when it comes down to two people like this, it kind of reminds me of 2001, I believe it was, when Jim Broadbent ended up walking away with the Oscar. Um, and I think that may be the case at the Oscars this year, but that remains to be seen. The nominations haven't even been released yet. So let's scoot. Through these lead actor categories, you've got best performance by an actress in a comedy, and again we have kind of a toss-up here, I guess, where it could go to—I don't know—one of two people, and they're both from the kids are all right. I think it's probably going to be in that Bennett. Who wins it though, right? It's It's going to certainly be in that Bennett. Yeah, who's nominated in this category. <laughs> yeah. When you look at it, it's like, well, if you're going to nominate Angelina Jolie for The Tourist, just give it to her. know, right. well, yeah, why, well. why even just make this a thing? You know, one thing that best pleased me, though was the presence of Emma Stone in Easy I think that's a good movie and a really good performance by her. In Best Performance by an Actor in a Comedy, again, we have the presence of The Tourist. Johnny Depp is nominated. Johnny Depp is nominated against himself with Alice in Wonderland. Paul Giamatti for Barney's version, which nobody has seen. Jake Gyllenhaal, for some reason, is nominated for Love and no Other Drugs. And Kevin Spacey, probably also, for some reason, is nominated for a Casino Jet. This is going to come down to Johnny Depp versus Johnny Depp, Corey, I, I think Johnny, Johnny Depp is going to take it. it. I think he's going to take it for Alice in Wonderland, because nobody likes The terrorist and Alice in Wonderland has made $1 billion worldwide. Yet yeah, it it's not a lead performance either. <laughs> no, not at all. It. It's bad. It <clears> really <throat> is. It really is. Uh, okay, best performance by an actress in a drama Filling down the nominees, Halle Berry, Nicole Kidman, Jennifer Lawrence, Natalie Portman, Michelle Williams. Can we agree that Natalie Portman's probably going to walk away with this? Yeah, and I think people might have just been like, wait, what was Halle Berry in? The answer is Halle Berry is in some indie movie that nobody has seen called Frankie and Alice. So don't worry about that. That's not on anybody's radar. The Hollywood Ford and Press Association our friend, the frequent guest on here and creator of filmnerds.com, of course. for it not to win here. So I want to see Inception get some love. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's it a long globe. But I just want to see it walk away with at least one thing, even if it's, you know, the People's Choice Awards. And that, uh, it'll certainly clean up there. I, mean, I think it's already that's already happened. I just don't know if discussions and when we start getting into predictions, it's become so easy to predict these things. Now, I would say that you and I probably are are batting in the 90 percentile range in terms of predicting the Oscars because we have these precursors to look at leading up to it, and it just becomes a foregone conclusion. And so, forgive me if I go in places that I often regret these past couple of years because it's getting kind of tiresome being right all the time I guess it's no fun anymore and so sometimes I like to just kind of predict something else to sort of dive in and win it when it's not really supposed to when it's kind of like on the fringes yet it has this this glimmer of hope because that makes it a little more fun for us I guess and you just kind of want to will it to happen but the Oscars are so influenced by these precursors and what everybody else is saying at this point that it's becoming kind of a, a boring result I wouldn't the best picture category necessarily predictable this year because while the social network has cleaned up every conceivable critics award, it has strong yeah. competition in the King's speech like fierce competition this is the move this is the sort of movie that the Academy loves traditionally I feel like it's losing a little buzz right now. I don't think it is at all <laughs> it, it just opened up to it's widest screen count this weekend and I think early box office projections have it at number 4 right behind True Grit, and Grit True Grit is making a major surge right now in terms of the best picture race. and of course it's not included in the Golden Globe discussion here even though it was eligible for musical or comedy and it failed to <laughs> get a nomination I guess Burlesque was just that much better I haven't, it it I haven't seen it yet so it might be but I think that true grit the timing of its box office, the timing of its release, people are talking about it that's a great word of mouth movie and I think that if anything can upset the social network I think that's it. It's, it's, it's going, going to be down between the three that's, I'm comfortable saying that a couple weeks ago I might have said the fighter might be the third dark horse but I don't think that the fighter's box office has been what it needs to be for that really to be the case though so I think that movie is very well regarded and cleaned up probably both of the supporting in acting, I would think. Yeah, and just looking at this picture drama, this is the one thing that you can kind of give the Hollywood film press a little credit for. I just look at this list of Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The King's Speech, and The Social Network. Those are all five excellent films. Yeah. And it's just nice to see that... City in in the film Stone, uh, starring Robert De Niro and Edward Norton, rumor has it that they're actually not slumming in this movie, Mm -hmm. so I'm curious to see what that looks like because it's been so long for both of them. Uh, I I would just like to see just one more good performance from each of them, and maybe this is it. Every time I' they're in a movie, though, I say maybe this is it. It never is, so Mm -hmm. who who knows about Stone? scene that I do recommend uh, the Golden Globe nominated Animal Kingdom uh, with Best Supporting Actress uh, nominee Jackie Weaver as the matriarch of this uh, crazy Australian crime clan. It's a good movie. Um, I didn't do cartwheels for it, but it's it's a fun crime movie. What about her performance? Is getting so much recognition, I guess, and it's kind of yeah. dying down at or it has started at the Capri Theater. Really? Yeah. Or actually The Simpsons, where Mark says to Homer, you like Rashomon, and Homer says, that's not the way I ever did. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Very well done. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, and I've got the 1991 Barry Levinson gangster biopic Bugsy with Warren Beatty and Annette Bening, which was the Best Picture nominee back when, Sounds of the Lambs, when it was up against JFK and Beauty and the Beast and uh, What's the fifth also have these great detailed uh, documentaries and, and special features that uh, really just make it worth it. So there's the actually come to the Blu-ray of Fight Club and, and that movie looks and sounds better than it ever has uh, on, on Blu-ray. So Ventures Blu-ray is totally worth it. Legit. Up in the Nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16 this week. The King's Speech which we saw and reviewed in light with Colin Firth, Jeffrey Rush, and Helena Bonham Carter. The Green okay. Hornet. Again, which Corey reviewed and kind of liked, with Seth Rogen and Christoph Waltz. The Dilemma with Vince Vaughn, directed by Ron Howard, which we may or may not see. Yeah, I don't know, it sounds like a box special to me. And this film, The Heart Specialist is playing in Tuscaloosa, too. I don't know what that is, me neither. I looked at the description and the it, and I still don't know what that is. The Bama Art House film series continues this winter lineup this Tuesday with Gareth Edwards' Monsters at eight p.m. at the Bama Theater in Tuscaloosa. That's a good pick. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah it, was it was on demand. In- uh, okay, back in the fall. It's it's um it's interesting. Can you recommend it? Marginally. Okay. But Yeah, I don't want you, you know I don't want to discourage people from going to the Bama Art House film series uh, because it's really good you know to support this series I think. Uh, but Monsters at the very least is is a wonderful example of what a a filmmaker with a vision can do with, you know, relatively low resources. So on that basis, it is well worth seeing. And a lot of smart people who are a lot smarter than me love this movie for what it's worth. So don't take my word for it. (laughs) We rarely do, Corey. Next week, we will welcome several of our friends and past guests on the show for our year in wrap-up, where we talk about the best films, performances, and moments of 2010, that should be a lot of fun, so do not miss that show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Well, as always, you can email any of your feedback to 90.7movies at gmail.com. You can find us at twitter.com slash aspectradio or facebook.com slash radio. You can download this and other episodes of the show at aspectradio.tumblr.com. Tumblr spelled T-U-N-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and check us out on AL.com. Just scroll down the homepage to find us in the Entertainment section on Monday for Search Aspect Radio. It was *Prince of Tides* was the fifth best picture nomination. I would have never have remembered that. I was about to guess *Howard's End*, but I guess that was that '92. Yeah. yeah, that lost unforgiven. And but it was the you know the Barbara Streisand, Nick Nolte yeah. film yeah. where yeah. She, she felt I remember she felt screwed out of the best director nomination. I think that. Did John Singleton get a... Was that 91 or 92? Yeah, it was 90. Either I don't way. Um, I'm not great on my early 90s. So it was John Singleton, yeah. He got the nomination instead of her, and a lot of people felt like the woman got slided that year. But Anyway. Yeah, by the black man who had also never been nominated. Um, I especially want to mention Matt and his wife Francesca's podcasts in a matrimony where they see a movie at the theater or on DVD together and usually immediately record their thoughts afterwards. Their last episode is on the King's speech, so